everybody. Welcome back to the Pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. I hope you're having a fine, fine day. Dr. Renee Allen is a speaker, author, talk show host, coach, and mentor to many right here in the nation's capital. Renee and I met through the Mrs. America and Miss For America pageants, and we had the pleasure of working together, co-hosting, and I even had the honor of being a guest on her show, The Renee Allen and Friends Show. I actually have a clip of our time together on that episode on my website, thevoiceofdc.com. We had a blast together, and it's hard not to with Renee. Her smile and vibe completely light up a room. On this episode of the pod, Renee shares her inspirational story of rising from a young girl where a mic in her hand and performance came naturally to her love of country and service of over 20 years in the United States Navy, how she survived a devastating divorce, and how the pandemic afforded extra time for her to get even closer with her beloved son Chase, and how she keeps faith, family, and a tight-knit network of confidants close as she spreads messages of love, positivity, and all that she does. Here she is, Dr. Renee Allen. Enjoy. I tell you, you, you and I have been through some stuff together, haven't we? When it comes to production, when it comes to uh, entertainment, anything like this. Yeah, we're a good team. We're a really good team, Renee. I mean, this is something that you and I are going on, oh, geez, since about 2015, 2016 or so is when we linked up, yes. right? Yes, yes. And we had a mutual friend, and that was the director of the Mrs. DC America pageant. Raquel. <laughs> yeah, that's Raquel. I know. And she brought, she brought us together without even knowing it at the time. You sure did. I love her. You know, we're all busy, but we're all connecting people from our hearts. Before we get to the point where you and I encounter each other, one another at a pageant, right? So you came in support, I believe, of one of the contestants that night. And yes, you and I kind of met that way, but kind of back me up a little bit before then. Uh, was entertainment and kind of being the people's MC your thing for, for some time there? Walk me through how you got to that point. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, how I met uh, Raquel was just through different circles. And then I actually, when Donna Edwards was the congresswoman, I nominated her as one of maybe 15 women that I nominated for that honor that she was honoring the veterans on Andrews Air Force Base. And that's where we really connected. And so then I did support one of the contestants and I was there and I enjoyed it and I saw her again. And then she was like, well, why don't you co-host? You know, Let me see if Rick, you know, will be okay with it. <laughs> that's right. Of course. No, that was great on her part because I think as a team, it just, it, it was so great, you know, how we were able to interact in the yes. crowd and then on stage. Yeah, it was instant. I mean, when I met you in that foyer area, it was just an instant connection. I could tell you were a very positive, beautiful spirit. And I just was, I was happy to meet you. Oh, Renee, well, I, I am too. And, and I was at the time as well. And, you know, it really, it's amazing how things kind of work themselves out. I had gotten a call to be involved with the pageant kind of out of the blue to first be an announcer and then ultimately be host, but it just wouldn't have been the same without you all those years. This kind of gets into yourself having served, what, 22 years yes. being within the Navy Reserves? Well, U.S. Navy for 10 years. And when I got to that point, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do another 10. My father convinced me to join the reserves, which I'm happy I did. And so I was activated into Desert Shield, Desert Storm that same year that I joined the reserves. So that makes 12 years active and nine and a half active reserves in the Navy. So in that reserve status, kind of walk me through what that really meant for you and, and what the expectation was of your time and commitment. Well, you know, Rick, I love, absolutely love this country. I love serving this country. I left at 17 years of age without any hesitation, uh, except my parents not wanting me to go. <laughs> right. 
And when I joined the reserves, I really did it because my father said he regretted not joining the reserves after his army tenure. And so I did it because I respect and love my father and this country. And I'm so glad because I joined on Valentine's Day uh, 1990 because I didn't have a Valentine. I had gone through a divorce and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something for myself. And so when I joined that August 1990, I was involuntarily activated into Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So it was a whole new thing now because I had already already been engulfed into the civilian sector, you know, corporate America, and I wasn't ready to go active duty at that time, but I did. And it went well, and I finished it out at Bethesda Naval Hospital, which is now Walter Reed Medical Center. Was this kind of like a bit of an escape for you? Was this a combination of dedication to country, but also to kind of get your mind off, off maybe the hurt from that relationship? Well, it's definitely a love for my country and, like you said, a combination of love for my family because my grandfather, Cleveland, was in the Army and they used to use people of color according to him, to be setters. And those would be the people who would go out. And if you get, you know, something was there to get blown up, that person would be blown up. So of course, my grandfather lost a leg. He had shot nine in his brain. He came back very different. And I remember him just being just short of a zombie, but he was able to look at people. And then my father joined the army. I joined the Navy. And then my niece, Ariel, is in San Diego right now, active duty in the Navy. So we have, each generation has um, someone in the immediate family who has served honorably. I love the flag. I love when I go on the base, the camaraderie and the love for our country. I wish I could set some type of regulation or, you know, something that everyone, female and male, would have to serve this beautiful country at least one year because there's a lack of respect and just ignorance to what we in general go through, you know, whether you're behind a desk making sure the troops are paid, whether you're in Iraq, it's the same thing for me because we're all coming in to serve our country with an open mind and heart so we can, you know, live brave and free. You know, when I came out the first time just for a couple of months, I was a little lost. I mean, I have family and supportive friends, but I was like, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And then when I joined the reserves, I was already engulfed in life and health insurance. And I was building a team and I was making decent money, uh, more than what I was as, as an E6 at the time. So when I joined the reserves and was activated for those 11 months or so, when I got out then in 1991, that's when I just took like, I think about a month and just kind of went to my family and just did a few things and to kind of just relaxed my brain. And then I hopped right into what was called retail, which was Woodrow and Lothrop. It's called Woody's Woody, for short. Yeah, of course. And I, was, <laughs> I was a fragrance manager, so I had the little carnation on. And then I did cosmetics <laughs> and this and that. And you know, that was my little transitioning into corporate America. And um, and then from there, I went to Fannie Mae and Chevy Chase. Let me tell you, I had a blast, and that's where I really started finding myself, finding my voice in, in you know in civilian life. And it went on from there. What kind of connected the dots to that point where you're now a actual entertainment entity within the D.C. market? Wow. Well, I appreciate that, Rick, coming from the voice of D.C., Rick Bernstein. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm the oldest of three girls, three amazing women that my dad's Jamaican, my mom's Cuban, white, black, and Indian. And we had a very strict household. And so being the oldest of three girls, I had no choice but to be accountable, to look out for women, 
Um, and just, you know, sometimes, I, you know, being a young kid, you don't do it correctly, but then you get your little reprimand, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I actually became an adult, for me, and I'm so glad to say this, it parlayed into my adulthood. So it no longer became something I had to do. It was something that I wanted to do because of my upbringing. And so I love, love, love to help everyone, but particularly women and family and young youth. That gives me the greatest pleasure because I know until I was in my 30s, you know, I was out on my own and I had to find things out the hard way. And a lot of people, because, you know, I was blessed with some green eyes and a little bit of looks, people, especially women, weren't always so willing to help me. So, you know, it wasn't until my 30s that I found my real strength. I'm just at this point in my life, I have a very small tribe. My my friend Karen Austin always talks about the tribe. And since the military, I've had a very small tribe around me and my family, but I've always had an abundance of people that want to be around me. And I'm just saying that because that's how my life has been. And so I've been told because I attract energy, because I'm always trying to get things going. But I found that not to be conducive for me to allow too many people into my real intimate circle because there's different agendas and I can't figure people out. I just want people to be honest, blunt. We don't have to agree, just be upfront. Too many people are doing things for different reasons and usually it's self-serving. So I just keep my circle tight. You're a part of the Sisters for Sisters Network. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you land there? Oh, wow. Now, that is a great question. Let me tell you why. Because when you talk about the transitioning from the military to civilian, et cetera, Sisters for Sisters Network has been a godsend. I was going through a horrific, long divorce. I've been married most of my life, and I have no qualms telling people I've been married three times. I love the institution of marriage, not that I was hoping to go past one, um, but I love um, the covering. I love being accountable. I love building something with one person. And when I was going through this divorce, it was different because I had a child between us and the other two marriages had no children. So this is a whole different animal. And just thank God that he is doing well now. Um, Sisters for Sisters Network, I was brought to them at the Green Turtle in Laurel. I walked in, it was a crowd of women. It was almost too crowded where I just turned around, but I I met my friends there. It's just uh, when synergy is there and you know things happen for a reason, like divine connections, that was definitely one of them. And it has really been a godsend for me because I was going through a really bad divorce, as I said, and I really needed to connect to good people in this organization, really, whether you're a GED, PhD, 501c3, it doesn't matter. It's all different types of women from housewives to corporate execs. And it's just an amazing group to just connect with other women to get to where you want to go, even if it's just to feel love. It's so genuine. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Lakey Forest Cosby, the treasure, and uh, me knowing Peggy Morris, And my friends referring me there, I wouldn't have joined. I know myself. I just kind of go, because everybody wants me to join this. I haven't even joined a sorority because I have Delta friends. I have AKA friends. I I just (laughs) want to pride, okay? (laughs) It's hard to just tether yourself to one thing, one cause. And, you know, I find that too. And just your career being public personality in this area, just involved in so many projects. But it is hard to just specialize in one, just do the radio show or just be an author or just be a speaker. A lot of times it's, oh, if you're doing a podcast, you have to just talk about one thing. You need a niche and you just need to just stay in your lane. 
I am a multitasker. I mean, from a young child, I mean, I was going to school. I had music lessons. I was doing all kinds of things. My parents kept all of us busy. So I like to stay busy. And I know they say, you know, you can't be a jack of all trades if you're not a master of one or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But yes, you can. If you can be a wife, a mother, employee or entrepreneur or, you know, leaders in the community. Yes, you can. It's just balancing. Mm -hmm. That's the key. And um, of course, putting God and family first for me works, but you have to be on the same accord with your partner. And sometimes people aren't the same at different decades of their life. So that's why I think there's so many divorces. People aren't allowing people to change and metamorph into what they are becoming. Right. And you just don't know at the time. I mean, it's really a leap of faith. That's what life is. I mean, you just yeah. don't know when you say I do and you make that commitment. You don't know the type of person you're going to be in 10 or 15 years. And it really takes your partner being willing to accept those changes. And they themselves also go through changes that are yes. then accepted by the other. You know, we don't have a crystal ball to know what's going to happen. No. And ultimately, in my opinion, you have to have a similar love language or at least respect the person's love language if it's different. Well, let's talk about those love languages. So there was that book that came out about the love languages. So there's words of affirmation, there's acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch. Is there just one for you or do you have a couple? I love affirmation from my partner and I love physical touch, even if it's just holding hands from my partner. If that's the one person, Rick, that you choose out of this entire universe to be with and grow and possibly have kids and purchase things with together, homes, except then you should be able to fulfill what the other one is desiring. Because what are you doing? Holding it all for someone else? It doesn't make sense to me. So love language is very important. Yeah, that seems to cover it, right? It's what you're hearing and then it's what you're feeling physically. Yes. Yeah. So the other ones though, acts of service, right? Which doing yes. helpful things for your partner, I'm sure you appreciate that. Yeah, I don't really care if he does. I'm the one that does that. I like to spoil and do and Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And what, what about the gifts thing? What about giving your partner gifts, telling them you're thinking about them, the flowers, the, that kind of thing? What, how far does that go for you? You know, I love it like any other warm-blooded woman in America, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but I don't require that. The symbol of flowers, whether it's your birthday, anniversary, Valentine's Day, etc., that's wonderful, but they're kind of expected, in my opinion. So when I get flowers, you know, just out of the blue, like my sister Lisa, that's one of her biggest love languages. Okay. She wants things out the blue, not things that are expected. We had a conversation a couple of hmm. years out and I said, Lisa, that makes a lot of sense. We expect it. We don't appreciate it as much, but if we don't get it on Valentine's day, we're mad. Right. But my, my sister Lisa was like, I just like them to show me that they love me anytime. It doesn't have to be on a specific day. So I was like, all right now. <laughs> okay. Well, then what about the quality time? So that's another one, spending time with your partner. I mean, I'm sure that's an important thing for you. How do you interpret the quality time love language? Well, another great question, Rick. You know, for me, and I'm just going to be transparent because, you know, I want to be able to help someone. I'm not worrying about what it looks like for me because I'm me, period. So that's how it's going to be. But I say things and share my life to help people who are maybe in their 20s, 30s, or maybe even in their 60s, I don't know, that need to hear something that I've already experienced. And that's why I'm very blunt and open. But for me, 
that has been an issue to my fault with my family, with my friends, even with my amazing son. It's been my fault because I'm such a multitasker and I was involved in so many things that I unfortunately neglected things that I should have been more on top of. Mm -hmm. And I'm accountable for that. And you know what brought that to my attention? Drum roll, the pandemic. I just want to say the prayers for all the loved ones that were lost. But for the pandemic, for me, Rick, I was forced to be home. And it was the best year of my life when it comes to me and my son. So the pandemic was a blessing for me in that respect. And I will spend the rest of my life spending quality time with him because I think that was a lack of that he really would have appreciated more of my time. That's what this pandemic hopefully has brought to each family. Just a better connection. Yeah, it really it really has for us. Well, I, I do want to step back one more time and kind of go back to how you were spending your time. So about six years ago, you went on ahead and you started by yourself, the Renee Allen and Friends Show. Tell me what inspired you to start that show and, and what you gained from it. You know, all of my life, I've been on a microphone. I had voice lessons. I've always had a mic in my hand, you know, solos in school from third grade. I've always been comfortable speaking or singing or making people feel better. And in the military, you know, was doing things for Black History Month, Hispanic Month, all kinds of different things. They would call me to MC. It, it became a hobby. It did not become a profession until really when I got out of the military. And more and more, I started being referred and sought out after and was privy to a lot of great things. And so with WLVS, it was so funny, Rick, because about eight years ago, Cheryl Wood, dear friend of mine, Peggy Morrison, probably the whole DMV, uh, we went on her show at WLVS. I forgot what it was called, but it was something about empowering women. And when we were done with several of us in studio, and I believe someone that was online, and when we were done, the GM came out and he said to me in front of everyone, we'd like you to have a show here. Oh, and, wow. and I was like, oh, I kind of blew him off because I was working, you know, at USDA. And so I was very busy and married and had a huge household and had a young son. But then one of the other ladies there was like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> and so then he goes, well, you both can do it. And I still kind of blew him off until she said to me, I'll do all the legwork, you know, I'll this, I'll that. So I said, well, okay, in that case, I'll do it with you, but I just cannot, you know, a bandwidth is kind of, you know, stretched. And so we did it for a little while and it was a lot of work and things um, happened and um, she decided um, to leave. We stopped doing the show. It wasn't maybe like a year later, Jeremy called me and said, Renee, you know, we really like your show. We like you. Please come back. And I said, well, we had a meeting and ultimately I came back. And that was about five and a half, six years ago as Renee mm-hmm. Allen and Friends. So that's how it came about. And you were so generous too. We were going into a, another pageant and you had me on your show. Yes. And I can't believe it was it was five years ago this March <laughs> was when I was on there. And, and you made me feel so comfortable. You know, I haven't been, you know, in an interview format on camera. It's been a few times since then, but before then or leading up to then, not as frequent. Wow. And uh but you really made me feel, and I know you make all your guests feel so comfortable 
you were saying you grew up with a mic in your hand and all that. And, and that just, I guess that just comes out, right? Does it just come naturally? I mean, you, you're as comfortable with that red record light on in front of you, not knowing how many hundreds, thousands of people are watching, listening, or if it's just one-to-one, did you just feel comfortable in that format? Well, I choose my guests and usually there have been some famous guests on, but I also choose a huge amount of people who just need to have some type of platform, doing great things, great heart. And so I um, definitely have to do my due diligence as a journalist. You know, I I can't have you on and not know about you. And so that's a lot of work. But the ad-libbing, I mean, I don't sit there reading from cue cards. I don't have a teleprompter. Those things are accessible and they do cost, but I don't need them. I don't want them because I want things to be natural. And by the way, you are a natural. When we had that interview, I remember everything was at the front of the studio. We had a blast, didn't we? We did. (laughs) (laughs) But I do my due diligence. I find out things personal, just like as you did for this interview. And I want to cater to the interviewee, which you're doing. You know, it's like people want to know about your guests. And so I wanted to make sure, like you are doing now, asking questions, making sure the guest is talking more than I am. So that's why I started doing the bell. Ding, ding, ding. Because anytime I wanted Mm -hmm. to speak, I had to remember, Renee, I'm interviewing them. So calm down on what your commentary. And I would just ring the bell to show my excitement. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. What's been one of the most memorable experiences that you've had as far as interactions or guests or, or someone that really stands out. I'll take myself out oh of that. Oh my goodness. Maybe. I was getting ready to say Rick Bernstein. <laughs> for the uh, time being, but was there one that really stood out and, and why did it stand out? Oh my goodness. First, let me tell and share with your guests and who will be listening to this, that I did this show for five plus years. I had no less than three guests per Wednesday, which was four weeks, four times a month. Sometimes I would have as much as five guests. This is separate segments, um, not quantity of the segment. And so I cannot really tell you the most memorable, but I will tell you that one of my dear friends, I knew him when he had hair on his head teaching, and it is the one and only Dr. Willie Jolly. Although there have been many, many memorable interviews. As a matter of fact, each one has been very special to me. That one with his wife, with their new book about marriage, money, making it last, that was one of the highest ratings. And not just because of the rating, because he's a friend, because I love, love, love when a man adores and publicly affirms his wife, because that's the woman that you chose. That's the woman you should be making every other woman in the world jealous of. And that's what Dr. Willie Jolly does. And for that reason, I'll give him the kudos there. And I'll tell you something else, Rick. It was, he was not a guest of mine, this next person, but I just happened to be, you know, every Wednesday at seven o'clock, I heard a lot of commotion up in the studios. I was like, oh, something big's going on up there. So as I was walking out after my show, T.D. Jakes, Bishop Jakes was walking down the steps and I mm. got an opportunity impromptu to talk with him. It was a, one of the nicest things that happened to me off um, actually my show in the studio. That's amazing. And what these little opportunities lead to going about starting that yourself, launching this on your own. I didn't realize, Renee, you were doing three segments per on, on Wednesdays. It wasn't just one guest, but three. I tell you, that, that that's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of work. It is. But that's the reason why I had this show. 
you know, the morning shows, that's hit or miss. They're really looking for people who have a ton of followers, but there's a lot of people who deserve to be on those morning shows. There's a lot of people who need more of a platform, more awareness. And I wanted to be one of the few in the area. And now there's so many podcasts and so many people and and hallelujah, but I wanted to be one little part of helping someone get to the next trajectory. That spirit, does that just come naturally? Was it from your father? You've navigated some rough waters along the way, and you've always come out on top, very positive, very empowering, inspiring to others. Where does that come from? Because I, I kind of want to lead that into you know this rebel spirit that you talk about. You're an author of this book, Rebel Rising, which is a lot of accounts of women and empowering themselves and coming up and rising again. And you have several pages in which you kind of tell your story. What is that rebel spirit that you talk about? What, what does that mean to you being a rebel and rising that way? Well, to start off, my dad is like a thousand percent more than me. I mean, he walks in a room and the light turns on. Everybody wants to be with him. He's an extrovert extraordinaire. My mom's an introvert extraordinaire, worrying about her family, the, you know, the food on the table, etc. But the rebel spirit, Carol Starr, she publishes these books. I agreed to do this chapter because, again, I was going at that time going through. I mean, that divorce took like eight years to get done over with. I can't believe it took so much of my life. So it was perfect timing for me to really just go ahead and do something. And I called it Vibrant Ashes. I was born a rebel is the title of my my chapter. And, you know, some people may be born with the rebel spirit, they say, but I don't think so. We're all born really with a clean slate. You know, we're all here on the the level playing field, in my opinion. It's the people, the experiences, the teachers, everything around you is going to make you. But the rebel in you, I believe, is when you are overcoming something major. Right. You know, mine was the divorce. And I had been divorced two times prior to that. And I don't know, it didn't really affect me. We just kind of went our separate ways. And it was um, that amicable word. But this one, when everything started crumbling, I just wanted my family. I was at a certain part of my life that I just wanted a family, you know, so that probably was the start of, you know, the demise uh, when somebody wants something so bad and the other one doesn't. I've gone through some stuff. Yes, I have. But the divorce was my most horrific experience. It really, it really almost took me out not via suicide, but just really just taking me out. I'm surprised and so thankful and grateful I had no heart attack or anything. I mean, it really tried to take me out. I was really a robot going to work, taking care of this. I really was not myself for seven years. I was pretending to be myself. In hindsight, I know that. I didn't know that at the time at all, not even a hint that I knew that. And so I'm going to live this life till the wheels fall off. I really just go by divine connections like you and I. You and I just connected. And that's the type of connections that I respect and allow in my psyche and into my world because I believe that's what God wants me to do because I feel it. It's in my gut. So I don't question that. So once I got over all that and, you know, it took a while and and my son and I really suffered, but now we are back. Bam, boom, put down. And I'm excited (laughs) because life's not over until it's over. 
And I would suggest to everyone after going through H-E-L-L, first of all, try to save your marriage if it's savable. But if it's not and you're miserable and things are happening, especially the domestic violence, which was not happening in mine, but that seems to be a big deal in the pandemic, you need to separate before things escalate. And I want people to know I would have given my pinky or something very valuable for my ex and I to get along through that divorce for my son's sake and for our mental health sake, because it really really did devastating things. And I just want people to get along. If you married that person, whether you had kids or not, you loved each other, find it in your hearts, find it in your decent thread of your soul to get along. Why be miserable? I was miserable for seven years. You know, love in a marriage and love out if you can't get along. Love yourself, love your ex out of the divorce. Just get along, especially for the children. Well, Renee, I know you're staying busy this summer. Tell me a little bit about the events that you have. I know there's two notable events that you have coming up in August. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's a lot of things going on, thank God. On August 20th, I have partnered with Bruce Communications in light of what's going on with Black men around the world to celebrate men of color, and it's called 48 Men of Power. It will be on August 20th. It will be at the Blue Dolphin, lower level. And on August 29th, I have partnered with Teresa Rowe to bring uh, some great things to the D.C. area regarding heels and motivation for women. And that'll be a very diverse group of women and uh, a very beautiful event. So I'm looking forward to that as well. As a matter of fact, one of my dear friends, John Shaw, who just signed on for the Housewives of New York, the newest member, she will be the keynote. So there's a lot of great things happening. That's so great to hear. And everyone can keep up with you also, uh, Renee, at drreneeallen.com. And they can also reach out to you personally with any inquiries as far as your services, what you put out in the community, a lot of your coaching and other things at Friends at gmail.com. And again, you have the Renee Allen and Friends show right now on a brief hiatus, but do stay tuned for some special additions to come out on the Renee Allen and Friends show. Oh, absolutely. And I'll also be doing Renee Allen and Friends Unscripted, just 10-minute snippets of some great stuff. So some things are coming up, so I'll, I'll keep you abreast. That's fantastic. Well, Renee, thank you so much for being an inspiration in the community, just being uh, uplifting others, empowering others. I know you talk about also in, in your chapter in the book, Rebel Rising, which is available on Amazon as well. You know, you fight for what's right. You keep your word. You never quit. You keep your energy up and you keep your mind positive. All things that we can learn from. Um, you've lived it. You're an example of it. You don't just talk about it. You're living it every day. And so I just wanted to thank you for putting that out there in the community and, and also for being just such a great partner and collaborating on some of the events that we've done, certainly with the Mrs. DC America organization. Really a blessing to have crossed paths with you over the years in the DC community. I feel the same way. I have so much admiration for you. And look, I just want to share, fall in love with yourself, dream again, serve first. Don't have your hand out looking for things, serve, and then you will receive. I appreciate you, Rick, so much. And congratulations on your podcast and all the great things that you are doing. Thank you so much. And again, thanks everybody for listening to the Pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein, and we'll talk soon.